Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Jariah here with my friend, my co-host, Nick Rachia. Nick, we're going to talk about UFC 241. We're going to give these folks a preview of what's to come. We're going to analyze these style matchups and give them our picks. We're going to talk about some betting advice. And we're also going to talk about last week's UFC, which is much more forgettable. I prefer not to, since it was a terrible show and you smashed me. The king is back, Nick. I had one week where I was able to defeat you, but, you know, I'd like to say that I'm really confident about UFC 241, but there's a lot of, this is not one of those cards where I feel extremely confident going up and down. There are a lot of pickups on this one for sure, Nick, and and that'll make for some exciting, exciting moments. I will say though, Nick, even though you got lucky last week, you know, Jim Miller landed that, that left hand. Jim Miller caught that guillotine. I mean, it was purely luck. There was almost no technique involved. He basically just kind of put his arm in a certain position, and Clay Guida was tapping. This week, Nick, it all came down to these four fights that we disagree on, um, maybe three fights that we disagree on, and, and I think I got all of them. I mean, this was a good one for me, Nick. And I'm not the type to gloat. Normally, I'm actually very, very modest, but I am excellent, excellent at picking fights. Oh, were you talking? Are we live? Are, are you? That is not cool. <laughs> Good. Enjoy your victory. I'm going to smash you this week because I think I'm going to clear, I'm going to go five for five on the main card, and you I know think what, you're Nick? going to whiff. When you say the words "I think" as a, as kind of a prequel to to your sentence, um, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're confident. Um, seriously, though, yeah, it was a bit of a home card. Not exactly something to write home Live about. Live from Montevideo, Uruguay. A quiet crowd. And uh, aside, yeah, aside from Mike Perry, uh, Luke, it was a uninspired, weak, weak skills, lazy, sloppy uh, MMA and technique uh, through a lot of the fights. A main event where um, Shevchenko essentially outclassed her in a battle of footwork, and there yeah, wasn't call it that. there wasn't much there wasn't much else. I'm like, man, she's great. At, I mean, Shevchenko is a great fighter, but she. She knew that Karmush wasn't going to get anywhere near her. And well, she just I, kind of picked her apart a little bit, but it wasn't fun to watch. I think for Karmush, it's fascinating because the the bigger fight for her, uh, much earlier in her career against Ronda Rousey, where she made her UFC debut against the biggest female star in the sport, uh, fully expecting to lose, and everybody expected her to. She had better moments against Ronda Rousey. Oh, she had great moments. She had a neck crank. Yeah, well, she, she, she took her back. Her with her she took her back. Kind of yeah. neck crank. Yeah, and and in this one, Nick, she wasn't trying to win. She was trying to avoid getting destroyed. And Valentina Shevchenko is very capable of this. I spoke about how boring she can fight leading up to her fight against Jess Guy, and I spoke about how that could be a really boring fight, except that Jess Guy is pretty aggressive. And she couldn't help being aggressive even against Shevchenko, and that's what gave Shevchenko the opportunity to blast her. But if you're not moving forward as Shevchenko and swinging at her, she will do nothing. Like, Nick, we're talking about this was a five-round, 25-minute fight, and I think the strike tally was pretty close to 60 to 30. Like, that is not acceptable, dude. That is not high-level shit. I think I was, you know, when I was thinking about Karmush in this fight, I didn't think that she'd win, but I thought she'd be more aggressive. I also feel like she was just, she cut a much more imposing figure at 135. She doesn't look, I feel feel like when she was at 135, she looked in, she looked big to me and and tough. And I don't feel like she seems like a big 125-er, so I don't know. Uh, look, look, I mean, she, but, she was fighting Shevchenko here. Shevchenko's not a small 125er herself, but I, I think she looked in the absolute best shape of her life. She was very fit, but not very, but not, she didn't look like a gorilla to me. 
Yeah, I hear that. Um, That's your nickname. But, 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 yeah, it, it, I'm, Gorilla. I wasn't, I, I, you know. I, I'm aware. I've actually watched some fights before. I've been a fan for a while. <laughs> I, I, do, I do appreciate you updating me on that one, Nick. Liz Carmouche, yeah, I don't know I don't know about the size matchup, but do you think a lot of the issue here was in her mind? Like, she had the potential to get takedowns. There's one department that we've seen Shevchenko not be damn near perfect. It's it's in that you can occasionally take her down. The reason no. she caught that armbar a few fights ago against... The Juliana Pena armbar? Juliana Pena, yeah, was, was, because, ago, was yeah. because Pena was able to get top position. And and Juliana Pena is not like a, like a high-level wrestler. She's a tough, strong girl. Uh, who will pressure you down to the floor. Liz Carmouche barely tried. They both did. I don't think this fight was worth dedicating 10 minutes of our podcast to. Um, I would love it if... Valentina I didn't watch the whole thing. I'll be honest with you. I don't blame you. I, I cut off. I was like, this is miserable. I'm pretty sure I was dozing in and out. It was like 2 a.m. by the time I was up to this fight since I was watching on a bit of a delay. But man, I was probably dozing off, man. Valentina Shevchenko has done this many a times. Uh, she had a kind of a somewhat of a similar fight with the best of all time, Amanda Nunes. And there weren't, and it's not that Amanda Nunes is likely to fight that way. We now know it's Shevchenko because unless you're running at her with offense, she will do absolutely nothing. She has no way to set up her strikes unless you are giving them to her. Just guys, she's a counter. She's a, that's called counterfighting. I understand, but you know you're what? I'm a, I'm a counterfighter. I can put pressure on too. I can set traps and I can make you make a mistake, which would open up opportunities for me to hit you. I know I'm not fighting a top ten opponent here. I Got get it. that, but she's the very best by far in this division, Nick. Yeah. It's not a close second. Yep. She's fighting as if Liz Carmouche was the most dangerous opponent she's ever had. She said after the fight uh, in the post-fight interview that you know she had to be really careful because Liz Carmouche was this and that. Liz Carmouche doesn't finish opponents. She doesn't hurt people. Like, right. like Valentina Shevchenko needs to do better if she expects to main event any UFCs. Yep. This was not acceptable in my opinion. I but agree. We do have an fight. awesome fight to talk about. Co-main event is a lot of fun. Fantastic, fantastic war between... We both look good. Ventente, Luque, and Mike Perry. I agree. Uh, Mike Perry wasn't going easy. From what I understand, Nick, this is actually a new concept to me because I didn't feel that way while watching the fight. Apparently, this was a pretty disputed decision. How did you feel? Um, you know, I felt like it was close, but if you're giving points for damage, the guy that looks like an orc at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Ventente, like, Luque, looked barely touched. And we know um, that Mike Perry has serious power. Right, and Vicente yeah. didn't look worse for the wear at he all. He didn't, um, although he got hit a lot by Barberina and looked pretty good also, but Barberina doesn't, doesn't pack Perry's punch. Um, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, two okay, two people on on, this, on MMA Decisions gave it to Perry. Um, you know, I, I heard other people um, give it to him. 30-27 sounds crazy, though. Listen, Are these guys was, related to Mike Perry? It was, a close, it was a close fight, but I think... I don't, it was a competitive I, fight. I it, was a, it was a close competitive fight, uh, you know the right guy won. He's a he's a very very um, exciting action fighter at 170. I do I don't know how far he's gonna go. I don't know if he's big enough to um, to compete know, take, at the top. Yeah, of the I, yeah I don't know what he's gonna I don't know what he's gonna do against these evil wrestlers. I'd like to like, see him fight. I'd like he, to see him fight Leon Edwards. I'd like to see him fight Darren Till. Like I mean, that's, a, that, that's, a, that's a nice step up. I think Darren Till would be great. But um, Luke against oh Jesus, Luke against Ponzinibbio. Ponzinibbio. Be, that would, would be, be an absolute bore. That would be so much fun. I mean that that would be. I mean that would be. I fun hope they set here. that up because I could see them giving him to Robbie Lawler, which I don't want. Um, hopefully, they, hopefully they give him to Santiago. Or I, I, I can also see them set it giving really um, making it Darren Till's comeback fight. 
And I'm not I'm not sure Till wins that. Is I, I, don't, I don't think I don't think Till wins that. I'd still like to see Till go to middleweight. I don't I think, think Till. I think we all thought that Till was a high level fighter. Because I, I didn't. Knockout over Cowboy. I never. I was. I never. We've since discovered that he is not a high level fighter. He has one. No, he's gigantic. Game. He's a big dude, and he hits hard with his left hand. If if you let him hit you there, but yeah, he has hard that, kicks. He has hard kicks. Also, he does. He has hard kicks, but you yeah. can't, you can't have one or two things that your opponent has to worry about, and nothing else ever. Luke Masvidal would be bonkers, also. But Matt, that might they might book that. Uh, that but I think awesome. Matt, I think Masvidal is popular as he is now. Wants a money fight, and is, is, is like as enjoyable as Luke is. is. Have winning fight of the night at UFC Montevideo is not gonna. <laughs> that's not gonna do a lot for his, pro, his profile with casuals. Beating Mike Perry, and who's, who's, I'm talking about. No one knows who he is, so they're not. Jorge Matt, people know who Jorge Masvidal is now. His next true. fight is going to be against a name contender. That's true, but in the entire division, there are only two people that have any sort of mainstream recognition, and those two people are George Masvidal and Colby Covington. Um, there's nobody else. Uh, so Anthony, I, I Anthony Pettis, Pettis was on a Wheaties box, my friend. Yeah, but, I mean, they could give they could give Masvidal the winner of if you of, think that, of that fight. If you think that the, the Pettis, the, that, Pettis that, Diaz, that's the layman outside of MMA fans really know who Anthony Pettis is. I think you're crazy. Uh, I, I think I don't, so. semi fans certainly know who he is. More people know who he is than um, I think. Mike Perry is extremely popular right I now. I would argue that Pettis might be more well known than Colby Covington. And I'm going to say that because the time during which Pettis was on a Wheaties box, when he had his little run, and when he was champion, UFC was was considerably more mainstream. I know we're on a tangent here, but what do you think can possibly be more popular than being associated with the president, this president eh. of the United States? Like, what would get you more? I'm not talking. I don't about think a lot of him. people like. No, I don't think a lot of people noticed that or were aware of it. I just don't think. It's not like there's a lot of highlights from the Waller fight that were going around in his gifts. No, no, there certainly aren't. Yeah, you know, like, there aren't gifts of Colby Covington. Just, like, just like with Floyd Mayweather, who never got a knockout and barely ever had an exciting fight, it was his mouth that got him, uh, that got fan interest. It was his mouth that well, made his, you want him his want to skill. See him well, his skill and him fighting challengers, it was a little, I think it was a little bit different. I, I think that that Luke against that Pet, I mean, Masvidal against. Uh, Pettis would be a, would be a money fight. Not a, I agree. Not necessarily as be, money. Be a good size fight. Uh, here's the thing with Luke. I think Mike Perry. It's a great goddamn winner in his career. I mean, there's like this is a guy that's fairly well known without being in the mainstream. But as far as even casual MMA fans go, everybody knows Mike Perry. Yep. Um, and then and then his, his prior wins over Brian Barberina, Shad Lapree, Nico Price, Bilal Muhammad. I mean, Wait, what's his name? I forgot his name. Who's that? Oh, Bilal. Well, that's funny. Um, his nickname being, uh, don't forget the name. Is it? No, it's your name. You just gave him the I worst. forgot his nickname. <laughs> that's great. Uh, I, I love that. Vincente Luque is, he, he's a serious prospect. I think the one issue that I had, uh, he's something like 27 years old. Yeah. Um, the one issue that I had with him, Nick, was from back in the day, was the fact that in the third round he looked very human in a few of those fights. Um, yeah. he, he lost to Mike Graves in the Ultimate Fighter, uh, partially because Mike Graves was more well-rounded than him, at least at that point. And by the way, I think Mike Graves is a talented fighter, uh, despite his domestic violence uh, accusations. Um, 
he, he's, he's got legitimate skill, but he's looked weak in the third round. For fights that go to the third round, they, don't, they didn't look so good for Luke for a while there. He showed that he's better than that in that last battle against Barbarina, and a couple of bouts ago against Barbarina, where he actually turned it up to the point of finishing it in the last six seconds. And then he beat Mike Perry in that third round, breaking his nose in the last few moments. Clearly, he's stitched up that hole. I think that's huge for well, him. He also has what's good for him with the Dana Whites and the Sean Shelbys of the world is he has killer instinct. He's to a, say the very he, least, and that's great for fans too. Like that's I what it, yeah, they, that's, they love. That's why a they, super they love high level fighter, super high level fighter who either makes you look like Mike Perry did the day of that fight, or he put, takes you out of there. I'm all in, man. And here's the thing. I, th- I would give him the edge over Neil Magny. I think uh, Zaleski Dos Santos would be very interesting, although I would give him the edge over him as well. Robbie Lawler, I'd give him the edge over Ben Askren. It's hard to tell. I'd like to see Ben Askren uh, come back. But anybody above that, the Mayas, the Ponzinibbios, the, the, the Dos Anjoses, the Leon Edwards, those are much, much tougher matchups. He would go right at Stephen Thompson. I don't know. That would be interesting to watch. I, I think it would. I think Stephen Thompson following that knockout to Pettis of all people, it's not a good sign. But yeah, I mean, the welterweight division is stacked. And by the way, you were talking about Vincente Luque's size. He's a good sized guy, and there are plenty of 155. He's about pounds. the same size as Dos Anjos, I think. Sure. I don't know. No, I definitely disagree with you there. Really? You think he's bigger than Dos Anjos? Absolutely bigger than Dos Anjos. He's a decent sized guy, man. He's not that small. He? He's 6'1 six, six or 5'10. He's, he's 5'10, 76 inch reach. He's not a small. Let's, let's look at Dos Anjos. Uh, Dos Anjos has got to be something like 5'8". I bet you he's 5'9 with like a 74-inch reach. 5'9, you are right. You might be almost exactly right. Uh, I'm not sure what his reach is. But yeah, he's, he's 5'9. He's a bigger man than Dos Anjos, man. The Chente Luke can't okay. make him 155. Uh, but again, you're right that he's not one of the bigger guys in that division. What we're noticing is that guys don't have to be huge. No. We, there's a bunch of 155. Kobe not that big. Yeah, he, he's not a very big one. Right? There are a bunch of guys at 155, uh, at 170, who who would be short at the very yeah several guys that are fairly small in that division who are doing really well I think we're learning that the weight cutting thing doesn't have as many advantages as we uh, once thought so yeah. j- just I think a few more bouts to quickly yeah. cover oh, up that. Um, I do think Most yeah looking a million bucks he looked fantastic he roughed up Latifi this was another good fight Latifi on the I mean it's like Latifi's one of those guys where you, you always want to see him do well he's a fan favorite in the MMA community. Um, I've always really appreciated that he went from being Gustafson's training partner to fighting Musasi yeah. in his home country. Um, that's not an easy thing to do, to step in with, no, with no, it's not, not it's a lot not of crap and fight, fight one of the best strikers in the history of it, it's, it's arts. Not, but the guy's not durable. He's very yeah. short for the division. Oh, he, yeah, yeah. He's, his wrestling he's is gone, not good enough for he the has, He's gone further than anyone thought he was going to go. I hear that. Um, I but I still don't enjoy watching him take a beating, even though I like Osmedir a lot, and I'm really glad he was able to bounce back. Yeah, uh, Osmedir looked elite for the first time in his career. I have never, hmm. outside of this bout, seen him look elite. Against yeah, I'd say, I would say pillar to post, he looked elite. He's, he's had moments where he's looked elite in other fights. Landing a thudding shot uh, above the ear on a guy as he's clinching you, to me, is not I elite mean, enough. He yeah. crushed Serkinov and Jimmy Matawa. Yeah, that's not elite to me. Like, landing yeah. a giant shot that right. doesn't look super technical because right, you're a right. big, heavy guy is not, is not yeah. a sign of... He, of he picks it up, there's light on his feet. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, he looked absolutely perfect. He did everything right, yeah. Nick. He didn't look like he was getting any more tired. It seems like he's shoring up all those holes that he used to have in his game. It's interesting because he actually is not tra- didn't train with Hard Knocks 360 leading up to this fight. Ended up training uh, back in Switzerland, I think. Yeah, he's Swiss. Uh, w- with his old team, and he looked in the best shape of his life. Physically, yeah. he just 
He looks look, great. He looks, yeah. Um, I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing him fight again. I think another fight or two, and he could very well give John Jones uh, a tough time, especially considering how close John Jones has been competing with some of these middleweights. Um, a quick mention to uh, Garagori, who did really well in his UFC debut against right. a mediocre opponent. Um, Rodolfo Vera, who is the Damian Maya, who's way more athletic. He's, he's kind of like a Jacare Souza, if you ask me, potential-wise, in that 185-pound division. Looked really good against Piacetta. He's also yeah. a, a black belt. Uh, Barzola Muffet was a close fight. Yeah, that was a close fight. Was Gilbert cool. Burns, we predicted that one. We did really well with that pick. Yeah, huh? and we also pick. predicted Cyril Gain, although, or Gane, however did I say his last name? Uh, Gane? I think it's Gane, is what they were saying. Cyril Gane. Um, he, uh, yeah, he, he got a choke. Um, yeah. And he submitted, he submitted, by yeah. the way, the, the, you would, you would think the guy with the background, yeah. background, although maybe I'm just, uh, Maybe I'm just stereotyping him as the Brazilian. Yeah, Tisha um, Torres is too small. Needs to be an atom weight, but there's no atom weight division. She's yeah, also Tisha Torres like like four in a row. I don't know. She hasn't changed. She hasn't improved in so long. I, I'm I'm disappointed yeah. in this performance. But Marina Rodriguez looked great. She did everything she needed to do. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing her continue the division. The the Paiva Bontarang fight. It was disappointing because both these guys looked really phenomenal in the UFC debuts, going up against prospects, split decisions. And then literally each guy cut the other guy, and both cuts were looked at by doctors, and Paivia's cut was so bad. Oh, yeah. That the fight was stopped literally three minutes into the first round. It was unfortunate. Shades of Wiener Belfort, Marvin Eastman. Yes. <laughs> um, actually, my bets killed on this event. Uh, the only bet that didn't do well is the Geraldo DeFratis. I, I recommended a straight bet on him, and I thought that was a really bad decision. Well, fucking congratulations to you. Thanks. Thank you. You actually didn't place any bets last week, so yeah, you, good. I good for, for the first time in a long time. Nick, you didn't lose. How great is that? <laughs> Sorry, wait, just wait. I couldn't help back it. On top. I wasn't this much of a dick when I was ahead for like four months. Absolutely not. You were such a nice guy. I don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we we have a great card to discuss. We're gonna take a short break and come back. We're gonna talk about UFC 241. Daniel Cormier going up against Stipe Miocic for the second time. Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis, Yo Romero, Paulo Costa. Need I say more? Yeah, Bracha versus Jiraev. Are we are we doing this, Nick? We're in the same weight class. Do we now. like arm wrestling? Do you, <laughs> want, do, do, do you want to do like a, a takedown contest, an no. ankle pick, uh, maybe chess? How about it, Nick? A board game? Operation. Operation. All right, I've got steady hands actually. Oh shit! This could work out well. I'm into it, Nick. I, I, I'm into it. Um, we're gonna take a break. Come right back. Talk about UFC 241 and all of the gold throughout that goddamn card. We'll be back. And we are back here on the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Nick, we're going to talk about UFC 241, this fantastic godsend. I mean, if the MMA gods are angry at the world, Nick, um, then they will make a bunch of injuries happen between now and fight night. If not, man, this card has so much to look forward to. I cannot possibly wait. Uh, I'd pay 60 bucks for the prelims and then 60 bucks again for the main card. And uh, I'm going to share a little secret with you, Nick. I don't pay for a whole lot of pay-per-views. Um, I DC. do because I'm ethical. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm a good. Nick. I'm a good human no, being. Not, not These guys are fighting for their lives, and I want to make sure they get their cut. But hey, if you, 
I think integrity is for losers. Is that? <laughs> You've got a full heel turn. Is, is that? This is, that is awful. I'm gonna have to. All right. I'm, okay. I'm, 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 try, I'm trying to do an ever so slightly more likable Kobe. Yeah, was, yeah. Well, that's, I don't know about the ever so. <laughs> it's a little bit like if you're more likable. I don't My know. My friend, if that is the best uh, you can do, I I, I can take it. Oof. Um, I can take it, <laughs> dude. I did not. I I came with I came with uh, a knife to a gunfight <laughs> today. But maybe you know, I'll find my nasty. It'll get back. I'm looking um, forward to seeing more. So of your from nasty Anaheim, neck. UFC 241, Cormier versus Miocic. We've seen this one before. It went four minutes and about forty seconds. It was really exciting and interesting. Stipe looks strong. Cormier's hands look fast. Uh, they both landed. Stipe probably landed more, but Cormier's one twos were fast and stunned the shit out of Miocic. Uh, they both had moments against the cage. Um, really good fight. Cormier uh, using his dirty boxing, going from an overhook to an underhook. Um, kind of pulled Stipe, Mio Stipe into uh, a really quick right hand and uh, followed it up with extremely precise, vicious ground and pound, a right-left-right, if I recall. And uh, what's going to happen in this, Miocic's first fight since that fight, so it's been a while for him, and Cor potentially Cormier's last fight uh, of his career. Since that fight, uh, he beat uh, Derek Lewis. That was it? All he did was fight Derek Lewis? That's time? all? Yeah. So he beat Derek Lewis uh, while he was injured pretty easily, just with like... Basically, ankle picked him to death. <laughs> I mean, got there, naked there was joke. a reason he took that fight, and it wasn't because he thought it was a challenge. Yeah. Um, so what's going to happen? It's been a it, it's been over a year, yeah. thirteen months. Yeah. So steep. First of all, I love that Stipe, after getting knocked out for the first time in a long time, took a goddamn year off. It since Stefan, since Stefan Struve knocked him out, right? Which was four or five years ago, I think. So Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier, the first fight. As I was saying, I'm I'm glad first of all that. Miocic took this year off. I know it was partially a negotiating thing, and partially he, he he was confident that he could get the rematch without having to fight somebody in between and risk it, right? Risk, risk the big pay-per-view revenue. And he's got it here. I'm glad he's, he's getting it, especially since he is uh, the only UFC champion in the company's history that has been able to defend that heavyweight belt three times in a row. Um, Brock Lesnar. I, I don't think Brock Lesnar is a nice guy. We do not share a lot of commonalities. But I am a Brock Lesnar fan, as a, as a fan of both sports, entertainment, and combat sports. That said, it would have been a major miscarriage of justice, and I think a real layup fight for Cormier to fight Brock. And I'm very happy that that did not happen. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It, look, would it have been a huge fight? Would it have been a great payday for Cormier? Yes. But the UFC loves the man. They're rewarding him in every way possible. If Daniel Cormier is confident enough to tell John Jones that Daniel Cormier made more money than John, more money in one fight than John Jones does in three, um, the UFC is really taking care of him. They're giving him, they're getting him jobs with ESPN. Uh, Dana White loves this guy, and it's because Daniel Cormier wants to build those a, relationships. Yeah, he's uh, great. He's great at promoting fights. He's yeah, he's okay at promoting fights. He's not exactly a star. He doesn't exactly bring the numbers in, if we're going to be honest. But he's a super likable guy. He's a smart guy. Uh, he's affable. He's he's everything you would want in a champion. He's a great uh, analyst. He's a great analyst. Uh, besides, maybe he doesn't look awesome getting off the bus. 
because on paper he's he's a, he's a kind of a short, stocky guy. But man, yeah, for heavyweights, I think that's always been true. But you know. even at light heavyweight, he he looked short and stocky. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, right. DC, DC again. He's gonna come down. He's gonna come. Uh, go down as a legend in the sport. No doubt he's going to get a first ballot UFC Hall of Fame spot. I actually think this might be his retirement uh, fight, Nick. Although I will say the UFC throwing a bunch of money at him per fight, I'm sure on the front end especially, I'm sure that'll go a long way in, in persuading him to take another fight or two, especially if it's against guys closer to Derek Lewis than, uh, than Estipe and uh, uh, John Jones. Um, DC looked good with his pressure. It seemed like it was fairly back and forth, and it seemed like both guys were landing in that first bout. And we don't have a whole lot of tape to watch on Miocic after. Um, but what we did see is that DC has a little bit more speed. I'm having a really hard time with this pick, to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, when they fought a year ago, I picked Stipe, and I felt good about it. I felt like DC has been hurt a bunch of times in his bouts, even though he's only been knocked out that one time against John Jones. He's been hurt a bunch of times in his fights, and I felt like Stipe's power should be enough. It did seem like DC was rolling. DC was rolling with the punches well enough in their first bout, so that that definitely takes some of that concern away. However, Stipe did look like he had the strength advantage in the clinch against the cage, but then again, in this clinch is exactly where DC, as you alluded to, was able to pull Stipe right into his Dan Henderson-like right hand. DC's not known for getting knockouts at light heavyweight, but he seems to have serious power if he weighs about 250, 260 pounds. Um, I'm going to say DC here is probably going to be uh, by decision unless Stipe's chin is ruined. Um, I'm, I'm going to give the edge to DC knowing that it could easily go the other way. It could easily go toward the guy with the 6-inch uh, height advantage and the 8-inch reach advantage. But I will stick with DC and, and, and hope to give him a nice send-off in retirement. Although, for Stipe's sake, I hope that if he does lose, it's a super close decision that could go either way. What do you think, Nick? Uh, again, I think it's... I won't be surprised if, if Stipe um, beats him. He's had a year to think about nothing but this. To train, to fight, to fight fires, to um, just to work. And I, I just believe that... As a as a combat sports athlete, Cormier's uh, craftiness is—I think he's a better chess player, and I think it's unlikely that he's going to get um, knocked—you know—just knocked out the way that like Fabricio Verdun did. Um, I think he's better. I think he's better at keeping distance. I think he's better at rolling away from punches. Uh, so I think we're going to get a repeat of what happened. I think it'll probably go the distance. It could be a split decision. I wouldn't be surprised if DC catches him again in, in one of those exchanges, but I'm picking Daniel Cormier. On the same Not with tons man. of confidence, but I'm picking Daniel Cormier. Um, we've got a pretty awesome match up next, Nick. We've got Anthony yeah. Pettis, former UFC lightweight champion, going up against a newly minted star, and I guess newly because we've only seen him fight you know, once since he became a star in that first bout against Conor McGregor. Nate Diaz uh, making a big comeback here after a couple of years off. Three and a half years since that first Conor fight. Three and a half, that's, well, it was on, that's I think insane. it was right, it was so right after my fought, 40th birthday. He has fought twice in the last three and a half years, Nick. That, or you can say once between now and three and a half years ago. Uh, that is insane. Yeah, he's 34 years old. He's the older guy coming in. And it's funny because the last time we saw Nate Diaz, we assumed that he's a younger man. We assumed that he's a young buck. Um, going up against a younger Nick. Anthony Pettis, which is shocking to me. Nate is going to have three inches uh, uh, advantage in height. He's going to have 
a record that doesn't look quite as good at 19 and 11 versus Anthony Pettis's 22 and 8. They actually do have uh, several common opponents. Both have wins over Jim Miller. Both have lost to Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, a win for Anthony Pettis over Benson Henderson. In fact, I think a couple of wins. And a loss uh, to Ben Henderson by Nate Diaz. I think he got wrestled in that fight. Got school. Both yeah. beat Cerrone, which is damn impressive. And both lost to Clay fucking Guida. How about that guy, man? Um, who do you favor in this bout, Nick? What are your thoughts? I think that I mean, Pettis has been alternating wins and losses for a while. And I thought he was getting... Uh, <laughs> it does say that right there, but I... <laughs> I wasn't looking at your screen. <laughs> no, no, no worries. I was just pointing um, to the last eight fights. Yeah. Uh, specifically the last eight fights, yeah. Uh, for his last eight fights. And, you know, I, before he landed that Superman punch, he was I thought he was getting touched up by by Thompson. Although Thompson was winning the fight until then. Um, who knows what Nate Diaz has been up to. From Instagram, it looks like he's in phenomenal shape. We all know that he's got a very, very good chin. We all know that he's got best-in-class jiu-jitsu, and he's really hard to submit. Um, I and, and we also know that Nate is a volume guy, and Pettis likes to pick his shots. Also, so I think, I think this is going to be a very exciting, lots of trash-talking going on during it, um, back-and-forth fight. But I think that, I think that Nate's volume is, and pressure uh, are going to piece up Pettis um, not probably as badly as, as Ferguson because Ferguson's uh, uh, versatility of attacks and tools is just sh- is sharper, nastier, a little more dangerous. Yeah, I agree. Um, whereas Diaz tends to just jab, it just jab you up and like piece you up with his hands, um, go to the body, go to the face. So I think he'll, I think Pettis will get a lot slower towards the middle of the second round, um, and I think. I think Nate goes away winning a decision probably 29-28. Yeah, this one I thought I would very safely favor Nate Diaz. It sounds like he'd been training, at least that's what his coach says, that he's been training consistently for the past few years. It's not like he just took this three years off and didn't show up at the gym. So he's been presumably improving. I know for me since my last fight, which was something like five, six years ago, I am literally ten times the fighter I was because I've kept training. I've kept improving. And that's why I won't give you a rematch. That's fair. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, Nick, I'm undefeated. So if, yeah, if, if, if you're going to talk about us having fun. Um, so Nate, Nate, Diaz, Nate Diaz, his pressure is what I expect to be trouble against Pettis, right? Pettis doesn't handle pressure very well. But Nate doesn't really stop pressuring until kind of the early part of that second round. I don't know if you remember his... Matchup against Conor McGregor. Granted, that was a five-round fight. They're both, yeah, two five-rounders. Yeah, the, the, the first bout against Conor, all he threw was his jab and the occasional open-handed slap hook. He refused to put any real power, any real exposure behind anything because he wanted to pace himself, because he wanted to build his... Also, that was a late-notice fight, too. That is true, but in the second fight, it wasn't different. In fact, no. in the second fight, second he, got knocked, fight down, is, he yeah. got knocked down three times in the first two rounds, Nick. And it was by Conor McGregor's right hand. Now, do you know what's uh, been fascinating about the Anthony Pettis? He's been getting a bunch of head kick knockouts, a bunch of body kick knockouts over the years. He's recently been hurting guys with his hands. Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson, yeah. he hurt him badly with a right hand. And Nick, it was, it was the same right hand, granted a slightly different technique, but it was the same right hand that floored Stephen Thompson yeah, in his last bout. Stephen Thompson, who, let's face it, has looked pretty unbeatable, even against 
the former champion Woodley, they had extremely close competitive fights. He's not a guy that loses to a lot of folks. And Anthony Pettis was able to knock him out with that right hand. Um, I, th I think there's something to that, the fact that Nate Diaz was knocked down a bunch of times by right hands and the fact that Pettis mm -hmm. is coming into his own with it. I think there's another factor here. The fact that Pettis uh, is an excellent, excellent kicker. And he, he has tricky setups for his kicks. And Nate Diaz, the last time that he was finished in a bout, was against Josh Thompson. And it was with a very similar technique that Anthony Pettis would like to do here. It was a lot of lateral movement, and then he would, he would stop and explode with the kick. He would set up that kick by showing uh, the same side punch. So what he would do is he would stand in a stance, he would throw a cross, and have Nate block the cross, and then the, the head kick is really what he's aiming to land. He throws the head kick immediately after, so that it goes right around his guard. It worked for him, man. He landed it a couple times against Nate. He ended up knocking him down with it. Um, so I definitely have a lot more trepidation than you do in my pick of Nate Diaz, but I'm still going to pick Nate Diaz. Um, I can totally see this being a split decision. In fact, I'm, I'm willing to bet that it's going to be a, a super close decision. Um, I favor Nate Diaz because I think in the second half of the bout he's really going to turn it on, and Anthony Pettis is going to be near ready to give up by the end of that third round, even yeah. though it'll probably go to decision. I think this will be a tale of two fights. The first half of the bout clearly going to Anthony Pettis. The second half of the bout clearly going to Nate Diaz, and it's really going to depend on what the judges' moods are uh, and what they favor in that second round, which I think will probably decide this bout. I am picking Nate Diaz because of the style matchup, because of the fact that he pressures, but I don't have an insane amount of confidence given given some of those stylistic variables on the other side given some of the weaknesses that Nate has shown in the past um, I do also think that even though Anthony Pettis' takedown defense is not anything to write home about I think offensively he has a chance to take a Nate down here and that's always been a, a good way to go for a lot of folks I don't think Nate Diaz is going to out hustle him from his back Nate Diaz is an excellent grappler Anthony Pettis is too um, I do think Nate Diaz is probably a, a level or so above but if he's on his back I think well, he's bigger. I mean, Nate Diaz is a bigger dude. He's got longer legs. He's definitely a tall guy. Yeah, six yeah. one versus I think five ten. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're right about that. And he's also got uh, three and a half inches of uh, reach uh, edge over Anthony Pettis. I'm picking Nate here. I do have a lot of trepidation about it. Um, I, I would love to see some recent footage of him, but the guy hasn't fought in fucking three years, Nick. He could be triple the fighter he used to be, or he could be uh, a less durable version. I've seen some interviews with him, and I'll be honest with you, he looks older. A little bit of a double chin happening. How good a shape is he in? You're saying he's in good shape from his Instagram, which uh, which definitely makes me feel better about the pick. I'm going with Nate. I'm not uber confident. Uh, but Nick, let's face it, it doesn't take a whole lot of confidence on my side to do well in these things. <laughs> next up, we have I'm got... I'm going to let that one roll. All right, fair enough. Um, next up, Nick, we've got Yoel Romero versus Paulo Costa. Yeah, that was, my, that was mine to set up. Next, we've got you. <laughs> I was supposed to set that one up, and then you do your face. I kept pointing to it. And uh, oh, I was, I was showing you pictures of Nate Diaz being ripped, but running a marathon. I do, I do appreciate like the occasional picture of a scantily clad triathlon athlete, uh, but but we are literally in the middle of a podcast. Yeah, you look... <laughs> I know I'm an asshole. I can't help it. something in the water today. <laughs> so, um, Yoel Romero against Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa, who fought a very competitive fight with, with Uriah Hall, if I remember it correctly. Was. Uriah Hall's jab was really, really um, well fought in that one. This is two guys who were made out of complete granite. Um, Yoel Romero, two of his losses are, I mean, one was like to, in Strike Force, right? To like uh, Rafael. Uh, 
think it was actually uh, Jacques Raphael Cavalcante. That's what I saw. Right, he caught him in the second round. Yeah, hour. and then you know when we saw him on his heels against um, Tim Kennedy. Tim Kennedy had him, you know, but we he had him hurt, but yes. we haven't we've not seen him. That was five years ago, almost, and we have not seen him uh, hurt anywhere near that badly. No, since then. Um, since then. He got hit a lot. And by the way, he didn't get knocked down on that one. He just got buzzed several times with hard, clean shots by Kennedy in the, Correct. Second, in the second round. Correct. Yeah. He's, and he wasn't knocked down by Rockhold either. He got, he got I mean, by, I'm sorry, not by Rockhold. Rockhold didn't touch him, but no. against Whitaker. Uh, Whitaker landed, you know, some good shots. I said Chris Weidman, but, and so did Jacare. But this guy is, he's not human. And I don't, I just don't think. Um, as talented and as an athletic specimen that, that Paulo Costa is, I think he's going to be in a world of pain. Um, probably late in the second or third round because Romero likes to play with his food. But I see him uh, landing landing something evil that just erases the eraser. Yeah, um, this is going to be our first point of disagreement. Wow! You're picking... You're picking Costa? I'm picking Paulo Costa. Why? For Uriah Hall, it was, and by the way, I've sparred with Uriah Hall. Motherfucker's got a nasty, super, super fast jab. Right, do I got to set up a name drop jar for this show? Please do. Um, I, I only have the three names that I keep repeating. Burn! Uh, well done, sir. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing, and that's exactly what worked against Paulo Costa. It was Uriah Hall's brilliant jab. Almost nothing else. But that says a lot because Uriah Hall's jab is like a lot of people's cross. I don't think Yoel Romero has much of a jab. It's not a super quick jab. He can be quick when he wants to be. Yoel Romero knows that if he explodes four or five times in a fight, he's going to be exhausted. That's why he saves his explosions. It's also a three-round fight. It is a three-round fight, and that definitely helps. That is a fair point. But Paulo Costa, Nick, all he does is move forward and swing with nonstop power, whereas Yoel Romero likes to take it easy. He likes to be like a days ago in there. He likes to not burn a lot of energy until he finds his opening, until he finds his spot. Now, do I think the old Romero can come out here in the third round after losing two rounds and get a knockout? Yes, absolutely. The motherfucker does it almost every goddamn fight. But I'm going to favor Paulo Costa's damage that he's going to inflict on Romero in those first two rounds. Even if Romero takes him down, I don't, I don't like Romero's ability to hold guys down, especially a guy as strong, as powerful, as large as Paulo Costa. I think if there's anybody in that division, if there's anybody at middleweight, Nick, uh, that can realistically match Yoel Romero in athleticism, in strength, in just a look of their physique and power, it's Paulo Costa. The difference is that Paulo Costa throws way more strikes per minute. I'll put it to you this way. Uh, Yoel Romero lands 3.28 strikes per minute. Paulo Costa lands 8.83. That's fucking three times more. And we know the kind of power that Paulo Costa throws everything with. But aside from Uriah Hall, who was, who, you know, was ready to throw down that fight, He's fought Gareth McCle uh, McClellan, Uwale Bambos, Bang, that yeah. guy. Uwale Bambos, who I think is probably the closest comparison to Yoel Romero and the way he's going to fight, except obviously he is one-tenth the fighter that Yoel Romero is. And a, a completely shot, and that guy is, you know, he's one in five in the UFC with totally. only a win against Daniel uh, Serapian. Totally, um, although I could make the argument that Paul Costa ruined him. But totally. <laughs> Maybe. And then he beat, a, he beat a totally shot Johnny Hendricks. Um, 
which you know he really he really did beat up Hendricks. But. Another Southpaw grappler who's much smaller, much less athletic than than Romero, especially post steroids. I agree. Yeah. Um, so I'm just Riol Romero has been in there and taken shots and beaten up the best in the world. Jacare, Weidman, Rockhold, twice against Whitaker, Tim Kennedy. None of those people have the Darren combination. Brunson. None of those people have the combination of the power and the output. Paulo Costa. But I think he's going to touch him in Costa. He's going to hit. All he has to do you is hit him once. You can all he has to do right. is hit him once. Land. You're right. He can jump over. How tall, how tall is Costa? Six feet. You yeah, Romero very, can very jump. Similarly he can jump physically. over him and knee him in the, in the skull on his way down. Like, I just, I'm, I've doubted you all Romero before. I won't. I, I almost never have, actually, until he's, now. I've picked, I've picked against him a couple times, and I, I just don't. I don't think he's human, and Costa Costa looked more human to me against Uriah Hall than Romero has really since the Tim Kennedy fight, and that was a long time True. ago. I, I, I don't disagree so with you. And I, and I'm thinking you Romero, and I'm going to be right, even yeah. though even though is old enough to be his father. I mean, Yoel you Romero does not look like he's old enough, man. He's, 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 almost, he's almost my age. Specimen. He's practically dead. Uh, oh, stop it, Nick. <laughs> Uh, the, the man is 42 years old, but but man, like neck down, he could easily be a 25-year-old super Everyone who fights him says he does not feel like a human. These are yeah, other yeah. fighters, the Weidmans, the Rockholds, being like, and Whitaker, being like, he doesn't feel like everyone else. He feels like he's made of steel and concrete. I believe it. I would rather take a punch from Neil Romero, believe it or not, than Paul Costa. I, maybe I'm crazy, and I know Romero has an insane level of explosive. Well, you know what? It's less than well, I was expecting. I feel like his knees, are, his knees are scarier than his punches. Oh, yeah, but his punches are super powerful. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. His punches are super fucking powerful. But Paul Costa, man, it's nonstop now. Like, you, want, you don't want to be in there anymore. Like, like there's very rare that a pressure fighter like him has that kind of power. Mm-hmm. It is extremely rare, Nick. Even if, you're, even if you're landing your offense here and there on him, and he's a young guy, you can take it. Eventually, that gets to you again gets to everybody sooner or later. He is like a Vincente Luque with slightly less technique, uh, but but with just more ferocity. This is so exciting. It, it really is. This is the fight that I'm looking good. forward to most on this card. Yeah. I'm saying a lot because this is a phenomenal card. I have no idea what's going to happen in any of these. I mean, we're picking them, and I'm picking, okay, Romero's a favorite, Diaz is an underdog, Cormier is a favorite. Anyway, so I, so, so, let's so go so to I the pick, So I've picked two of three underdogs so far, Nick. Uh, but those odds mean nothing to me, sir. Nothing. Let's uh, let's go through the rest of this card. Gabriel so, Benitez against Sadiq Yusuf. Yeah, it's uh, Benitez versus Yusuf is pretty interesting matchup, and in that Sadiq Yusuf has been running through uh, his competition so far in the UFC. I'm not saying that he's finishing everyone, but but he's been looking really good against absolutely every opponent. Um, I know that a lot of folks say that the Shaman Bryce fight could have gone either way. I don't think it could have. I think it was competitive. I thought it was clearly, uh, clearly Sadiq Yusuf's fight. He had that uh, quick win over Mokhtarani before that. Mike Davis, he roughed up on Dana White's contender series, and that was kind of his segue into the UFC. I think he's something special. I think he's championship material. And I think Team Lloyd Urban is not my favorite team in the world, uh, <laughs> more for ethical reasons than for, than, for, than for their training regimen and that sort of thing. I think he's really something special. Um, but Gabriel Mowgli Benitez is legit, Nick. He kicks incredibly hard. From what I understand, the coaches at AKA hate holding pads for him because he's because this 150 or is it 145-pound fighter, Nick? He's the heaviest kicker in the gym. I'm talking about a gym with Cain Velasquez, a gym that had Luke Rockhold's left kick, uh, the, the gym that, that, that houses Daniel Cormier and Khabib Nurmagomedov. Benitez is the hardest kicker. 
And it shows, man, when he lands that leg kick, when he lands the body kick, when he lands the head kick, it doesn't take a lot of those. Who do you favor in this matchup, man? I favor Yusuf for all the reasons you said. All right. Um, uh, I think, you know, um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, excited. I'm excited for the fight. I think it's going to be close. I think Yusuf is just a monster. Yeah. Uh, Sadiq Yusuf coming into this one with a 9-1 record. Gabriel Benitez, 21-6. and six. Nothing to scoff at uh, on either side. Uh, I'm on the same page as you, man. I- I'm a big believer in Yusuf. He's one of my guys. Uh, I'm expecting big things from the 26-year-old. They're actually pretty evenly matched size-wise. Um, I do wonder how the southpaw versus orthodox matchup will play out, especially with Benitez's left kick, him being the southpaw, being the left-handed fighter. Um, I am picking Yusuf here. I think this will be a decision. I think it will be fairly competitive, especially in the first half of the bout, because Gabriel Benitez keeps getting overlooked. I don't know what it is about these Latin American fighters who have really good UFC records uh, that everybody keeps picking against. But in this matchup, it, it's hard to pick against Yusuf, who I'm a I think big, get, big believer. Yeah, in. I think they, they get picked against because they haven't... People don't know them. People yeah. do, People stop watching tough. People don't want, you know, people don't watch the Contender Series. Yeah, that, yeah that is... And they're on, they're on regional cards. Um, that is fair. Not regional divisions, but regional... I mean, you know, they're not in the Vegas cards. So next up, we've got uh, an interesting matchup between Derek Brunson and Ian Heinisch. Ian Heinisch, 13-1, came into the UFC and really overperformed. I think he was the underdog both to Cesar Ferrer in his UFC debut. I think on short notice, Nick, he out-hustled, out-pressured him. And then against Antonio Carlos Jr., who, let's face it, doesn't respond well to pressure, doesn't have a whole lot of heart, as we're finding out in matchups like that. Still, he was a big underdog, and almost everybody had uh, Silva picked in that one. Going up against Derek Brunson, who has been in the top five or top ten of middleweight for a long time, coming into this fight with a record of 19-7, and seven, which doesn't look awesome. He picked up a lot of losses in, in the last couple of years against Israel Adesanya, Ronaldo Souza, Anderson Silva, Robert Whitaker, but he was fighting in a very... He was fighting, essentially... He was fighting himself in those bouts because, because of the way that he approached those bouts. Israel Adesanya to sprint at him... Uh, Robert Whitaker just spread that guy and swing. Like, that's not the way to fight. How are you going to have energy if you don't finish these guys in the first few minutes? I do think that he went back to a high-level camp. I believe it's hard enough to He buzzed Whitaker real hard in their fight, too. He, he, he did, but look, if you're going to swing with all your power and might, and he has a lot of power in his left hand, you're probably going to buzz Whitaker if, if you get him, but Whitaker is going to stick around. Right. And you're not if you're swinging that hard that early. Um, I do think he's learned a lesson. The way he's talking now, uh, I think he's fighting very differently. And exemplified by that, we have his win over Elias Theodore, which I'm really grateful he ran him out of the UFC. He was a horribly boring fighter to watch. Who do you favor in this one, Nick? This is real. This is a tough one for me to call. Um, so I picked against Heinisich last time, and it cost me. And I think I picked against Brunson against uh, Theodoro. Yeah, we agreed usually, on the Heinesich uh, uh, yeah. fight. We were both wrong on that but one, you but picked, I, you I, picked did, Brunson. I did pick Brunson, yeah. Um, Brunson is a great athlete. His fight IQ hasn't been very good, but he he did okay against Elias. That then said, you need, I mean, when a guy's kind of doing jumping jacks around the cage, what kind of fight IQ do you need? Well, um, you do you do, you do need a high fight IQ because last year there was beating almost everybody's fault in the UFC. It's worked. That running style, kicking out of distance, but Derek Brunson had exactly the right chops to solve that issue. Yeah. It's, it's a hard bit to solve. I give him credit for it. Especially since he did it in fairly dominant fashion. It was pretty yeah. clear one-sided beating. I'm going back and forth in this, but I think... Hmm. I think Heinesich is tough, but I'm also curious if Brunson's going to catch him. I'm going to go with Heinesich by decision. Yeah, it, it, it really is a, a, a tough matchup to decipher here because you wonder which version of 
uh, Brunson will show up. The thing about Brunson is that he tends to really look bad against high-level fighters, mostly because in his mind he can't get over the fact that they are ranked above him. Uh, he, 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 I think, talks himself into acting a fool in there. But again, being with a high-level camp for the first time in several years, I think he used to train at his home gym. Uh, not his home gym, but the gym that he owned back home. Uh, he's now fighting and training, I think, at Hard Knocks 360, which is a huge improvement uh, over over what the situation he had set up before. I'm going to give the edge to Heinesich because I think that when Derek Brunson... Are you begrudgingly agreeing with me? I, I, I am agreeing with you. I think that when Brunson gets those takedowns, he Heinesich is going to pop right back up. Uh, judging by his performance in the first couple of bouts. And Brunson isn't a great controller, even though he did look like it against Theodoro. And, and I think that Heinesich, having fought two really high-level grapplers in the last two bouts and being able to get right up uh, to his feet for the most part throughout those fights, I think that kind of takes that out of the equation. We have no reason to doubt Heinesich's chin. And I know Derek Brunson has serious power in that left hand. Um, I do think Derek Brunson will likely be tired and up against the cage a lot of this fight, especially the second half of the bout, which is where I think Heinesich will take over. I am also picking uh, Heinesich here, and, and I'm really hoping for big things out of the guy. It would be a shame to see his momentum stopped by somebody like Brunson, who is, you know, if, if anything, kind of a gatekeeper to the stars. The biggest favorite on the card, Devontae Smith at minus 750, is taking on a guy whose name sounds fake but probably isn't, Kama Worthy. Yeah, um, I believe it's a late, a late I, I think he's a super late replacement. I think it was Clay Collard, as comma this, the as Death this Star worthy. Uh, yeah, the, the, I think that uh, Devonte King Cage Smith was scheduled against Clay Collard, who used to compete in the UFC. King Cage against Clay Collard, right? Yeah. Um, Are you crazy? I, I, Are you crazy about King Cage against King Collard? Damn, I couldn't do it. You, you tried, Nick. That was good yeah. alliteration. So yeah, um, look. Devontae Smith is a serious fucking prospect. I'm a big believer in him. I'll be honest with you, I just discovered that Kamar Woody came into this matchup. He's a, he's a huge uh, underdog here at, I think, plus 450. I'm certainly going to pick Devontae Smith with ease. I haven't seen much tape on, on Karma Worthy, but judging by his record, he has a couple of knockout losses a few years back, even though he's on a streak now. Yeah. First round knockout losses, and Devontae Smith is exactly that kind of guy. He's got serious power. He's incredibly athletic. He trains with monsters. He, he trains, he trains great, with Andrew trains Smith, with Eric Anders, and Ian Heinen. That's right. He, tra he trains at Factory X, which is a, a, an elite gym, in my opinion, a gym that doesn't get nearly enough credit. On top of the fact that he's super technical, he is extreme power in his right hand. I expect him to take care of Karma Worthy here. Uh, but having said that, Karma Worthy is on a bit of a streak. He might be worth a $5 bet at minus 450 to win like 25 bucks out of it. Why the hell not? Yeah. That's, uh, that's Mark Montoya's gym. Uh, next up, Nick, we've got a fascinating matchup. Uh, a veteran yeah. versus prospect. Rafael Sunsau uh, going up against the younger, the up-and-coming Corey Sanhagen. Nick, there's a 10-year age difference here. Corey Sanhagen with a, a much younger fighter with a record of 11-1. and I believe he is 3-0 in the UFC, if I'm not mistaken, going up against a 27-6 and uh, Rafael Sunsau. Corey Sanhagen is not only 10 years younger, Nick, not only does he have six, uh, five inches, uh, six inches excuse me, of, of a reach advantage, he is on his way up, and Sunsau is kind of in that middle ground. Now, well, yeah, Sunsau at 37 who's a, with a, has had a great career going all the way back to the WEC days. I mean, he was a contemporary of like the, the real favor run, and... And you and I both fair. thought, I think, that, that saying, hey, his last decision should not have gone his way. It was super close, but he still hung with Lineker, who's True. a friggin' beast. Hanging with Lineker for three rounds is a lot tougher than hanging with Rafael Sunset, who goes to the decision a lot. Tougher, yes. A tougher riddle to solve. 
more um, dangerous. I think, I think uh, yeah, definitely more dangerous. But Sun Tzu is the much more technical, much more nuanced yes. fighter. Yes, I still think that he's over the hump and he's officially a gatekeeper. Um, Just by that one loss, that because by the way, that was his first loss in several years. The um, Marlon Moraes, he got the Marlo, yeah. the guillotine choked in the first yeah, round. Yeah, he's had a lot of after yeah, beating Moraes a couple of years back. Yes, he's had a lot of close fights. Um, I just I think Sanhagen's that good. Um, I think a, like who has fights with John Lineker and leaves losing great? Who leaves looking great? Very few. Not, I mean, yeah. I can't. T.J. Dillashaw is another guy, but that's elite, right? Especially with his uh, nutrition regimen. Yeah. Um. So I think I think Sanhagen's gonna gonna take it here. Yeah. Um. I think it'll be a decision. I don't think he's gonna sell them. Yeah. If Sanhagen's winning this fight, it's by decision. Sun Tzu is super, super technical. He's very hard to hit. Um, the thing is that, as I was alluding to earlier, he's got he's six inches shorter, and I have concerns about his ability to counter Sanhagen's offense. Sanhagen is a constant, constant offensive fighter, constantly moving forward. He will take your shots, but he will land his three or four for your one or two. Um, the thing with the Sun Tzu is that he's been really coming into his own with his power, especially in his right hand. He's been hurting guys, and granted, if Lineker can't hurt you, can a Sun Tzu? The thing is that a Sun Tao can land cleaner, believe it or not, because of his technique, because his punch placement is so much better than Lineker's, who just literally wants to knock you over the head with his forearm, yeah. if that's what it takes. I'm going to pick Sanhagen, but I do have concerns about Rafael Sun Tao's counterability, especially since Sanhagen is there to be countered. He's constantly moving forward, and that pressure style usually comes with a price. Um, I really like Sanhagen. I like his size for this division. I like his attitude. I like his team, training with the Elevation Fight Team, Nick. That's about as high level as it gets. TJ Dillashaw being one of his training partners there. So I'm going with the 11-1 prospect and Corey Sanhagen. Um, I expect that he should be fighting a, a big name after right after this one. I mean, a, a big name in the division and, and probably after probably Sterling, maybe. I, I would be shocked if yeah. Sterling took that fight. Yeah, Sterling is a fantastic right. shot. Uh, I don't see him taking it, but shoot, be, I would enjoy that fight, especially since those guys are uh, very tall for the division. I'm in agreement with you here. I've got Corey Sanhagen uh, by... An exciting decision because they might, give no him, they might feed him. They might feed favor to him. Oh, that would be great. I would. I bet Nick, you that's, that's what it. They do. That's the one. That's it, Nick. One hundred percent agreement. Cannot argue with that for a second. Favor is the perfect matchup because I do think they're going to match favor up with some of these young prospects. Wait till one of them beats him so he can build the name off of him. Yeah, and I wouldn't San do San, exactly I don't want to do Sanhagen Jan. I think that yeah, I think that uh, I would. Uh, I, I still think Jan, if he's not able to hurt his opponent, his opponent's high level, he'll have some some trouble. Let's do, uh, we got Dracar Close versus Christos uh, Giagos. Right. Uh, interesting matchup. Dracar Close at 10-1 and has been looking pretty decent in the UFC. I mean, I think it can be argued that he lost his last uh, fight that he had against Bobby Green. It was a very competitive bout. Yeah. Um, he beat Lando Venata before that and lost to David Tamer prior to that. Uh, he's a decent-sized favorite here over Christian uh, Christos Despartan Giagos, who... Um, I believe I picked last time over Demir Hadzovic. That was a pick and bout, or maybe it was a quite a bit of an underdog. I liked his wrestling. I was concerned about his third-round fatigue that he tends to show in every fight because he's so explosive. I'm going to pick the underdog here, Nick. I'm picking the 17-7 and Christos Chagos over the 10-1 and Drakkar Close. I think Drakkar Close's offense is going to be less notable to the judges, even though he's solid and he's going to have cardio for days in that third round. He's going to clearly win that third round. He's going to clearly win that third round. So all he needs is the first or second round Drakkar Close does in order to win the bite bout. But I, I just feel like Chris Chios, uh, Chiago, Chiagos has a chance of getting 
a few takedowns early on. And even when he does throw his hands, he's, he explodes in. Even if he misses, he can score points with the judges. And again, I know that he's probably going to be exhausted in that third round. From what I understand, his last fight uh, in which he dominated Hazovich throughout the bout, from what I understand, it was his first two-month training camp in his entire career. So he trains with Black House, which isn't exactly a very well-known team. I don't even know who their coaches or his training partners are. Although, you know what? Brian Ortega, Leon Machida, Shaman Rice ain't bad, man. Um, I'm going to pick the underdog here. I realize that Drakkar Close is going to dominate him in the third round. But Drakkar Close is not much of a finisher. So I'm hoping that Chiagos gets the first two rounds in the bank and then survives the third round for a decision. Having said that, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a draw because of how dominant Drakkar Close will be in that third round. What do you think? Um, I'm going to pick Close. I don't necessarily like him, but he he seems to me to be a guy who just finds a way You're, to win. That he does something. Or it is something that the judges like. I think he's skilled. I think he plays with fire a little too much. Um, it's it doesn't seem like top he, notch. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he listens to his coaches in the cage. Um, but I just think I also just think he's been in there against better opposition. Um, he definitely has, no doubt. So I'm gonna. I think you know. Um, I think he hopefully will come in there a little more. Sure, he trains with Henry Cejudo. Um, it's probably had a good energizing effect on that gym in general. I can imagine. So if he does, in fact, train with Fight Ready MMA, that's the first time I've heard of Fight Ready MMA, to be honest with you. Um, but, but it sounds like a pretty stacked team with Dan Murray, Frankie yeah. Sands, a few of the UFC fighters in that one. So let's talk about Casey Kenny, Manny, uh, Manny Bermudez. Casey Kenny got that gift decision against Ray Borg uh, in his last fight. Manny Bermudez beat uh, Benito Lopez in, in February. Yeah. Um, yeah, that Casey... Casey Kenny didn't look bad in that fight. I just thought that Borg won it. Same here. Uh, well, it was the second and third round that were clearly Borgs, in my opinion. For some yeah. reason, the judges gave it to Kenny. It was the weirdest thing. Um, so I totally agree with you. The guy should be 0-1 in the UFC, not 1-0. He's going up against Benito Lopez, who Nick is 3-0 in the UFC. Yeah. But three first round, uh, three first, uh, two first round and one second round submission. The dude's super dangerous and, by the way, undefeated at 14-0. Going up against the 12 and one, 12 one and one Casey Kenny, um, Bermuda's actually won his last six fights by submission. Kenny has never been finished though, um, and, uh, and like I said earlier, Bermuda has, has been untouched, untouchable so far. Um, I'm I, I had a bit of a hard time with this one. Bermuda's is a decent sized favorite. I just feel like Casey Kenny has. I know he's a much smaller guy. Um, Bermudez looks pretty tall for the division at 5'10". I wouldn't be surprised if he was 5'11", whereas Casey Kenny is listed at 5'7". I wouldn't be surprised if he's 5'5". He looked kind yeah. of neck and neck with with uh, Ray Borg. Um, Kenny's a southpaw, which might make takedowns a little bit more complicated for Manny. I know that Manny just needs that one takedown and the fight's over. I'm, so, I'm, I'm going to go with Casey Kenny. I like, huh. the, I like what he showed in his last bout against Ray Borg in the first round, if only. Um, and I'm hoping that he can keep that up for a couple more rounds. So again, I'm picking another underdog, Nick. This is a big one for underdogs for me. Um, I'm taking some chances because I don't know if you heard, I'm actually four events up over you. Oh, are you talking? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Uh, I'm going to pick Manny Bermudez. Um, so let's just move on now because you're being insulting and mean today. I don't know what you, how what you ate, but too much spice. I'm sorry. I was, I was trying to be. I was trying to be controversial. Like I, was, I was trying to be the Colby Covington. Yeah, that's of great. This podcast. Is that why you're wearing that red hat? Looks good on you. I am not. How dare you, sir? I would not wear I that red hat. If I looked to all of our listeners. I swear to God, he's got a Make America <laughs> hat um, on his on his nice head of hair there. So next, we got my girl, Shockwave <laughs> Hannah Cyphers. 
the quiet, shy farm girl who's little and has fire in her fists, who I've successfully picked, uh, I guess once, no, did I pick her twice or pick her, pick her once? I, well, I certainly think you, she's you, one and one, right? You got the, the win last. Uh, I picked yes, last yeah, yeah. yeah. and that was yeah. Against, yeah, and you had picked Viana. How'd that work out for you? So it didn't work um, out so well. And then you know her first fight Wait, against Macy Barber. Macy, Macy, <laughs> Macy Barber looks like even more of a killer since that fight. Yes. Um, and Cypher's landed some good shots before you know uh, before she, if I recall she ended up on the bottom and did taking some nasty ground and pound. Yeah, some nasty ground and pound. Um, so I'm going to pick her over Jody Esquivel, who hasn't really shown me anything. Yeah, um, I to be honest with you, I didn't even watch tape on, on this on this particular fight, even though I, I did on every other, because I didn't really have very much of a question over who's going to win this bout. Look, um, the fact of the matter is that Jody Esquivel kind of sucks. She's not UFC material. She beat Deanna Bennett, who's had to have some good wins. Deanna, Bennett has, Deanna Bennett has been getting roughed up in the Ultimate Fighter and, and before and after that uh, for, for a little while. She, she hasn't yeah. looked good in a long time. Now, she's one and Five, she's still in the UFC. How the fuck is that possible? Like, who does she know? Is she like Dana White's niece or cousin? Like, what no in the world is going no, on here? No need to get nasty. All right, all right. Uh, is she your cousin? Yes. Fair enough. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm comfortably picking uh, Hannah Cyphers here. Uh, Hannah Cyphers. How tall Cyphers? Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, no, Hanskabil is five one. Cyphers is five two. Yeah, they're, they're right about the same range at one fifteen. That's not far off of average. This is a battle of the wee lasses. It is a battle of the wee lasses, but Hannah Cyphers actually has some skill. Uh, she's got some size. I mean, she's a little, but she's got she's pretty ripped. Yeah, she, she's got some muscle on her for sure. She's one on one in the UFC. The loss is against a pretty serious prospect of Macy Barber. The win is against who we thought was a prospect, who we now realize is a mediocre fighter at best, and Pauline Viana, who hasn't had a win since her first bout in the UFC. Um, so yeah, I, I pick Hannah Cyphers. I'm doing it with confidence. Jody Escabel is not a very good fighter, and she probably is a great uh, uh, kind of person to keep on the roster as a comeback fight for for girls uh, like like uh, maybe Carolina Kovalkowitz, but big who time already beat her. who has already been there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, n- not not much of a question in this matchup for me. Like I said, I, I I didn't watch tape on it because I remember Jody Escabel sucking, having really short arms. It's not that you know what. It's not for lack of trying. She just has really short arms, and she has a lot of trouble uh, landing on normal-sized girls. Mm. I mean, you make her arms look, look, look like they're little shark fins. Like, she's, she, she really has very, very short arms. Her reach is really her biggest, I think, downfall for MMA because she does really try to win. Um, she just can't quite reach her opponents. Her reach is listed at uh, 64 inches, which, she's by the way, longer. Uh, apparently longer than uh, H- uh, Hannah Shockwave Cyphers. I'd be surprised if that's the case. I would like to see the matchup play out, but yeah, I, I favor Cyphers here because she is alive. Um, next up, we've got uh, a, a, what promises to probably be an exciting matchup: Brandon Davis versus Kyung Ho Kang. Kyung Ho Kang is actually coming off of uh, a win over Teruru Shihara, a loss uh, to Ricardo Ramos before that. Split decision. And, 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 true, and, and, and a couple of a couple of UFC wins before that. He's actually got quite a UFC uh, career at this point. He doesn't have a record that looks particularly spectacular, Nick. He is listed at uh, 15 and 8, uh, but he's going up against Brandon Davis, who's 10 and 5. Brandon Davis made his name in the Contender Series, coming off a win over Randy Costa, who's fairly inexperienced, having lost to Zabit Magomed Sharipov and Enrique Barzola uh, before that. These are not at all fighters that anybody should be ashamed of losing to. No, he also lost to Kyle Bosniak. He did lose to Bosniak, who, 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 who can actually look good against prospects in a loss. But you're right, but Bosniak is not exactly a high-level guy. He's just a tough guy with a lot of heart. Who do you favor in this one, then? 
I've not had a lot of good success picking Korean fighters, but I have a feeling that um, that Kang's going to win this fight. I favor Kang because I actually think he's a pretty good fighter, Nick. Like his ground game is solid, and that's really where he's where he likes to spend a lot of the fight. But he's been really coming into his own with the striking too. Like he he has a well-rounded game, man, and, and I mean that in the best way possible. And that he's actually dangerous seemingly everywhere. I don't expect him to get a knockout over Brandon Davis by any means, but I can absolutely see him taking him down a few times, earning a decision. Um, so yeah, I, I favor Mr. Perfect here. I I. I like what he brings, and I expect this to be a super exciting fight. Brandon Davis does not just re- does not let anybody dominate him. It doesn't let anybody uh, get a real clear edge on him. He keeps trying, and he keeps trying to throw. He keeps trying to hurt you. So this will be an exciting fight. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a split decision, but I am favoring Mr. Perfect, Kyung Ho Kang. Um, Next up, we've got uh, definitely the lowest yeah. level fight on this yeah. card. <laughs> definitely a fight that could be like on a local show, and Nick probably would still be the first fight of the night there. Uh, we have Sabina Mazo versus Shayna Dobson. I'll be honest with you. Could be an exciting battle. These are two strikers. Um, uh, they're, they're fairly similar in size, both big girls for the weight division. Uh, Mazo is listed at 5'7". Dobson is 5'6". Dobson trains with Team Lloyd Irvin, which is pretty solid. Um, and King's MMA is where Sabina Mazzo calls home. Mazzo is only 22 years old here going up against Shane Dobson. Both are actually pretty interesting strikers. What are your thoughts on this one, man? I'm not sure. I've been going back and forth this one because Mazzo did not look like she was ready for the big show. Not at all. And uh, didn't get off um, the way that you expect a Muay Thai uh, champion to, uh, to get off. Is she off. really a Muay Thai champion? I didn't, I didn't well, know I mean, well, she's a Muay Thai she, She's a Muay Thai fighter. Okay. Um, but I'm assuming that she's Colombian. She's a Muay Thai fighter. She's right. in the UFC. I'm guessing that she's, yeah, she's at some point she's been a champ. She's probably going to be the Colombian that. Muay Thai champion. But, Fair enough. Um, <laughs> small league. But, uh, you know, Shana Dobson hasn't really impressed me except for her grit. So, God, I don't. It's but they, I find them both really underwhelming. So I, I I will say this. Okay, I was thinking I was going to pick Mazo. I think I'm going to pick Dobson because she at least has looked at home in the octagon. That, that is all true. Um, the thing is that Dobson hasn't fought the same level of competition as Mazo's one opponent in Marina uh, Marodes. You don't think so? You know, like Mataferi and Nico Montoya are the, that level? Oh, that, that's true. You're right. On the Ultimate Fighter, she did fight Mataferi. That's a fair point. Um, and, and the champion. You're right. Uh, you're right. And in her second bout, she fought. That's a fair point. She's had a super high level of competition. There's no way that she's walking into this intimidated. You're right about that. Um, being that Shane and Dobson, she exchanges really well. She looks good on the feet, but I, I feel like she doesn't really go for takedowns. And that's, I don't know, Sabina Mazza was kind of odd hustled by Marina. I'm, I'm going to go with Mazo just because of our kicks and the fact huh. that she's significantly younger and the fact that it's going to add another fight that we disagree on. Maybe give you a shot at winning this thing, Nick. Um, I'm going to go with Mazo. Uh, this should be an entertaining fight. I agree with you, by the way. Neither of these girls have looked particularly high level thus far, although they both have exciting, exciting striking styles. I do expect this to be an exciting fight, man, despite the fact that it, there won't be like a high-level jiu-jitsu game that's played uh, by any means by either of these two girls. We're going to take a break, come back, talk about my betting success in the last event, did really well, and we're also going to talk about my betting recommendations for next week.
And we are back, Nick. We're going to talk a little bit about my betting success at last week's UFC. And we're going to give some recommendations to our listeners for next week. Nick, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm actually uh, I'm actually at a success rate. Uh, I've, I've, I've got profits in nine of the last ten events at this point. So I've, I've been kind of killing it. Um, I'm going to spread my wings a little bit of this one and, uh, and, and, and take some chances when it comes to the betting. Nick, how are you feeling? He's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna no sell me. He's gonna kick me. That is totally no sell. It's over, Nick. It's over. I'm feeling fine. You find yourself a different green, point. super green. <laughs> um, so, so, so yeah, Ben Dallas. You, you chose. Uh, you Do you chose... have any idea what I'm doing? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, have you ever saw the Fifth Element? I did. Seen, like, Love it. Fantastic movie. But it's been years. Oh, okay. I was probably in my teens when I saw it. Nick. Uh, uh, Bruce Willis, Corbin Dallas character, uh, no sells. Chris Tucker character. I think Ruby Rose. Ruby Rose. Yes, yes, yes. I remember this. Not yes. Ruby Rose. She's the actress. Chris Tucker was like a super flamboyant uh, dude. Yes, I remember that. Good times. That's a really solid film. I would watch it. Uh, so for Ruby Rod. Ruby Rod. Anyway, so from the best from last week, Nick, I did really fucking well. Uh, the only one that did not work out for me was my bet on uh, Geraldo Defrades. Almost everyone thought that he deserved the decision, except for those three judges. I don't know how that happened, uh, but that's the only loss I had. I recommended uh, Vincente Luque in a parlay with Rodolfo Vieira. Uh, combined, they give you odds of plus 115, which is fantastic. I recommended betting $50, and that was a profit of 57 bucks and 50 cents. I recommended a parlay on Gan and Da Silva with combined odds of minus 130, which is awesome. Uh, I recommended putting 30 bucks down on them, and you want 23 from that one. Uh, nice couple of bets there. Also, the bear straight at minus 140, $40, netted me $28.57 of profits. And I also recommended a bet on Luis Garagori uh, over Ben and I at minus 140. I thought that was a steal. Uh, I recommended 40 bucks, and that profited 28.57. My one loss was Geraldo DeFreddy's at minus 115. I recommended $30, and I lost. Um, we've got $138 of winnings. $30 loss for a total of $108 in profits, Nick. Um, I'd call that a pretty good betting event, considering how much I bet, considering my bets in total were under a couple hundred bucks. Um, and we've got this week's bets to talk about. Who do you recommend, Nick? Um, I recommend you stop tooting your own horn. Nick, that's, it's, it's really all I have. And you know what? Tooting your own, <laughs> to, to, tooting your own horn, Nick, uh, when my mom's not around to compliment me, it just makes me feel better. Also, I'm pretty sure if I keep going like this, I can become president. Stranger things have happened. Stranger, definitely stranger things have happened. All right. Well, congratulations on your success. What do you got? Well, I've still got to make it through the primaries. No, I meant. <laughs> yeah. What do you got? What do you got going on for this week? So for this week, uh, I'm a believer in DC. I recommend a straight bet on him at minus 145, 40 bucks on that one. A straight bet on Nate Diaz. I like his pressure against Anthony Pettis, even though I do have some concerns. But at plus money, at plus 110, I'll take him. I'll put 30 bucks on him all day. Corey Sanhagen at minus 175. I recommend a $40 bet on him uh, over the much more experienced in Sun Sao. Casey Kenny at plus 105, $40 on that motherfucker. Wow. I think he's legit, Nick. I'm a, I'm a believer in Kenny, although although I, I do see how, how the matchup might be tough given how dangerous his opponent is. Um, Christos Thiago. A plus 170. He came through for me last time. I'm going to rely on him to come through for me this time and win enough of those first two rounds to net a decision. $30 on Chagos. Um, I actually haven't looked at the prop bets for this one. I would seriously consider placing a bet on Chagos by decision because 
Um, he tends to win that way, and I think you'd get even better odds than plus 170. Uh, Kyung Ho Kang at minus 175. I put 50 bucks on that guy. I like his ground game in that matchup. Um, a value bet, I put five bucks on Karma Worthy at plus 450. I mean, the guy's experienced. He's on a six or seven fight winning streak, and he's going up against Devontae Smith, who was a super prospect. But again, five bucks, you end up you end up winning $20, $25, and you'll end up losing five if you lose. It's not the worst thing. Um, two parlays here. I'm going to recommend Sadiq Yusuf and Hannah Cyphers. Both of them are right around minus 270 for combined odds of minus 115, $50 on those two. Also, Kang and Sanhagen, who combined make odds of plus 147. I like that I'm getting some plus money on those two names, so I recommend $30 on that one as well. What do you got, Nick? Uh, I'm going to go with a parlay of uh, Diaz and Cormier. Um, I like it. And then... Do you know the odds on that parlay, Nick? Oh, yeah. Oh, the combined odds on the parlay? Yes, sir. So it looks like plus 260. Yeah, and I, I kind of want to do a triple parlay with that. I ran into trouble when I started making decisions like that. <laughs> um, I like kind of sippers a lot, but minus 275 is... A little bit expensive. Maybe put her in a parlay if that makes sense for you. Yeah. Anybody else you really that. believe in? Um, yeah, sippers and, uh, sippers and Sanhagen. I like it. If I get crazy, what does Siffer Sanhagen and Close look like? It's a minus 175, minus 200, minus 275. Plus, plus 220. 221. That's awesome, dude. Awesome odds. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a good combination of bets, but that's awesome odds. Yeah, I'll, bet I'll, I'll put 100 down on both of those parlays and see what happens. I'm warning you about this last bet. Don't I'm forget that Because okay. I will have it in next All right, week. I'm going to put 20 on that parlay. Fair enough. Good idea. And, and uh, 20 on that one and 100 bucks on the original parlay of Cormier and Nate Diaz, correct? Yes. Excellent. So that in the books, Nick. The 209 is going to shine. The 209. Uh, yeah. Are you? Did you hear about this John Jones back and forth with Daniel Cormier over Twitter about the fact that John Jones is basically saying the only way that I'm fighting Cormier is if Cormier comes down. I don't believe Cormier would ever come down for this ass whooping, so we're never going to fight again. I think John Jones is right. Yeah, I think he's right. I said something very similar to it a couple of weeks ago. Um, we don't need to see them at that weight again. And like, no. Cormier has gotten so fat. Like, 100%. That guy's never making 205. He will never weigh 205 pounds again for the rest of his life, I guarantee it. As a matter of fact, Nick, I... It gets a horrible disease. Yeah. You just said it would never for the rest of his life. I'm yeah, he's, he's, he's never going to be 205 pounds. I, I don't like the odds of a horrible disease. He gets leg amputated. Yeah, I don't like the odds there. I don't like the odds of, of him getting his leg amputated for no particular reason. Um, but, yeah, weird, interesting story. Did you hear about this Henry Cejudo calling out Valentina Shevchenko? Yeah, you know, the king of cringe. I certainly like him a lot more than Colby Covington. 100%. Because um, Cejudo's just a goof. He's keeping us in on the joke is the difference. Yeah, I mean, he's not Yeah, he's not that much of a comedian. He's not, gr- he's not great at it, but, like, no, but again, he's just having the fun. The cringe factor is exactly what he's going for. It's almost like, yeah. it's almost the reason that Dodgeball is a funny movie. It's not actually clever funny by any means, but there is a certain cringe funny. Yeah, I guess. I don't think, I don't think Cejudo's hilarious, but I, but I, he's a, but I do think he's a, he's a mischievous, fun-spirited guy. To be fair, Even if I don't think he's a great, enter, a great, Entertainer. I That's think he's exactly, a great fighter. I can say the exact same thing about Dodgeball. Not very funny, but it's just a whole heck of a lot of fun. Why do you keep bringing up Dodgeball? I don't know. I just have a thing about not liking Dodgeball. Jody loves Chachi. Is that what he says when he hits, her in the, when he hits them in the face? I'm not the sure. I fucking hate this movie, Nick. I thought it was I terrible. It is terrible. Um, Are we breaking up? Is this it, Nick? No, I don't. We can, can make we... it through this? Couples therapy? Oh, God, I can't 
Um, so, where were we? Oh, John Jones, Cejudo. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I actually think Shevchenko would probably kick the shit out of him. No fucking way. <laughs> he would smoke her. Yeah, he would get... He would, and it's not because Shevchenko isn't a spectacular fighter. He, he would take her down. Really he would quickly. blast this is stupid her. Conversation. We're talking about a guy with, like, testosterone versus a girl who's uber-talented. I'm know, still... I'm not, I'm not wild about... Um, I would rather that Edgar retire than go to 135. I'm so into going to 135. Let's have... Uh, is there a match play? No, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of guys in there. I mean, him against Cruz. So who don't want to? Dominic Cruz! But I just, I don't like watching, I don't know. Dominic Cruz, Nick! So excited about the prospect of watching that fight. It's Frank Hitt. I love that guy. He's my favorite fighter all the time. I just don't like watching Yeah, me neither. I definitely love him. I 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 love